He was saying to people, get out of here, disperse, disperse, or there's going to be more bloodshed. See, this is, we're walking around campus and sticking flowers and guns. I'm Regina Beach, and you're listening to Saturn Returns, a show about life changes, events, and challenges with a clear before and after. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the Kent State shooting on the Northeast Ohio campus, where four students were killed and nine others were wounded when the National Guard opened fire on the commons. Today you'll hear from two Kent State alumni, Jerry and Paul Carr, as they relive the events leading up to the massacre, where they were that day, and how it has affected them. Paul Carr, um, I graduated, we graduated in 72 from Kent State. I'm Jerry Carr, and my maiden name uh, was Liska, and I, my husband and I both graduated in June of 1972, and we were sophomores on May 4th in, in 1970, so. And you knew each other then? No. No, we no, did not. No, we, we, were in, we were in special ed classes together, I think, one. I think the following uh, year that we started it being more classes. Right. Yeah, that junior year, and then... Because you both studied education, and so you right. met. Okay. Right. Were either of you politically active before yeah. this at all, or involved no, in any? No, I mean, aside from being like aware of what was going on, I'll be honest. Um, I mean, let, let's go back to like the beginning. Sure. The beginning of it was a protest downtown on a Friday night, uh, protesting the bombing of Cambodia, and. Um, I wasn't there, I wasn't downtown that night, and my own, even at the time, my personal feelings about that, um, I, I thought it was a bad idea. I mean, it was this mob mentality, and what really bothered me is that they were busting windows, and, you know, and the, and the, the, the business guys, it's funny, the people at Kent weren't that crazy about us, even though they were making a lot of money off us. They weren't, before the shootings, they weren't that crazy about us. It wasn't like a friendly town. You know, but they didn't deserve to have their windows smashed. And that's what brought the National Guard to Kent. That and Rhodes had come out as a law and order. I'll show the kind of well, a Well, they burned down the Rotsy well, building. Well, the Rotsy building burned down Saturday night. Um, and, and again, things, uh, I wasn't, it was an old army barracks kind of a thing. And they actually had classes. Me too. I had an art class in one of Me them too. in the winter, and it sucked. Anyways, um... So I didn't care. I didn't mind the, the the symbolism of burning the Rodsey building down, and nobody wanted Rodsey on campus to begin with. Um, but then they were harassing the firemen. You know, they were throwing stuff at them. They were trying to cut the fire, you know, the hoses and doing shit. Uh, to me, you know, you, you cross the line when you start doing stuff like that. Sunday was relatively peaceful. Um, but it was a very surreal and a bizarre atmosphere because there were half tracks at corners. You know, student center, which was an older building at the time, had posted uh, guards at the entrance, helicopters at night. It was just like it was almost like I wanted to divorce myself from even seeing this stuff. So I spent I'd go to class and just go back to my apartment. And that's what happened Monday out of class. I got out at 11.50, the thing on the commons was around 1 o'clock, I think, and they were handing out literature, and I thought, no, I got it. Not because I forebode any foreboding, it's just like, and what happened for me anyways, 
and then Jerry can tell what happened. Or what happened to me is that I went back to my apartment and had no idea what was going on. My roommate came in and said, something's going on up in campus. And I said, well, listen, we're out of bread and milk. And I borrowed his car and went down to this little grocery store down the street. And um, I, I grabbed some milk and some bread, and uh, the owner guy said, um, are you a student? I said, yeah. And he says, well, you won't be. Do Are you from Kent? I said, no, I'm from Rochester. He says, well, you're going to be on your way to Rochester because they shut the campus down, and you have like an hour. It wasn't it was like, about an hour. I don't know how they figured 22,000 people get were out. going to get in and out of Kent in an hour, except for the foreign students, which they gathered and put in like small group housing or something. So anyways, I, you couldn't get a phone line out. The lines were jammed. Um, I was lucky enough that a roommate of mine had a motorcycle. I had what I had three bucks in my pocket and my toothbrush. There were miles and miles of cars trying to get in, miles of cars trying to get out. There were roadblocks. I later remember, heard no cell phones. Right, and I later I later heard phones on campus. I, I later heard that um, there were rumors about um, the people bringing weapons in the cancel. There were all these stop and checkpoints. And I got out there and I mistakenly, for some reason, got on the turnpike. I don't know what in the world thought that was going to take me to Rochester, because it doesn't. And a state cop pulled up to me and he goes, are you a student? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, get the fuck off my turnpike. And so I turned around and I got on 271. And anyways, an old guy in a beat up red pickup truck picked me up and he was going to Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania and I had a high school friend who had gotten married and he was going to Slippery Rock. I hadn't seen him in four years but I knew he was a Slippery Rock and it wasn't until the guy turned the radio on that we began to hear that there were shootings. I still didn't hear of anybody dying, but that's when I first learned that there was, that's why they shut the place down. So I wound up in Slippery Rock overnight, and uh, my friend Doug gave me a ride back to Rochester the next day. That's you. That's you know, that was my story. That's right, yeah. because I really didn't know you then. No, we didn't so, know we had no know each other. All of this had been brewing for a while. I think when we graduated from high school, we were in the midst of the women's movement. We were in the midst of all the civil rights stuff and everything. And then our freshman year, everybody's sitting in the in the dorms and everything, listening to the to the draft, to Nixon's draft. That's when people really started, no, we were, and they we were, were, we were sophomores, I think. But everybody was like sitting around and waiting what their numbers were and everything, and that's when he really started escalating the war. And soon after that, what, Paul, maybe about months after that, that's when they moved into Cambodia, and that's when all hell broke loose. And by that point, there were already people on campus, like, I remember my father seeing me with, you know, with buses, the Black United students. There were only two black women in, our, in my dorm in Olson Hall. You know, they were really nice and everything. We talked like a lot about political things and stuff and everything. So I did a march with them. <laughs> and my father saw me on the 11 o'clock news. He goes, you just have to be careful, you know. Well, then they really started getting very militarized. At the end of my freshman year, I started dating someone who, had, who the following year ended up being one of the wounded students. He and people that he knew that's all people were talking about were, were politics and what are we going to do about this and that's enough of this. And everybody had friends that were in Vietnam. I had a cousin that was there. All the letters and correspondence going back and forth were, please get us out of here. This is ridiculous. Bring us home. We don't want to be here. Then all the stuff started on May 1st. And I went home 
after my classes on Friday, May 1st, because I had a dentist appointment and my family owned a store um, in Hudson, which is like minutes away from Kent. And my brother came and picked me up. I went to my went to my appointment and then br- he brought me back. It was like after, I remember, because the dorms already stopped serving food. So my roommate and I walked downtown. We walked downtown to get something to eat and that, and it was still light out then and things were already brewing down there and we go. Paul said previously it was like real, like kind of like crazy kind of stuff. Another person that I was dating at the time who was also somebody that I knew from high school was hanging around with a whole bunch of people that were really getting into like political stuff and everything. And so I kind of sensed that something bad was going to happen downtown and I didn't want to be a part of that violent stuff because I didn't think that that was going to be the way to change anything. We walked back home. It was probably back onto to campus, probably like about eight o'clock and everything. And then we heard about all the stuff that was going downtown. And then the, the next um, night, the ROTC building was burned down. Oh, Governor Rhodes who I think had no idea about anything new. I really don't think he gave a crap about anybody or anything. So they pulled, they pulled these National Guardsmen, most of them very young, as old as we were. They were coming from a UAW strike, but they had been like up like all these hours and stuff and everything, and they just dragged them and put them there. Okay, we weren't allowed out of our dorms. Lights had to be out by like 9 o'clock or something. We just, with helicopters shining lights, they were going to all the dorms, shining lights across the whole campus. There were tanks and things everywhere. We could go out out and like walk during the day and stuff and everything. We talked to some of these guys and they go, we don't want to be here. The people that we talked to said, no, we don't want to be here. And everybody was like really tired. Like I said, Sunday morning, I walked to the Newman Center with one of my friends to go to church. I mean, you could not even walk through. It was even to get out of your dorm. There was just military people like everyone. So we pretty much had to had to stay in our dorm. So got up Monday morning. Messages got out to everybody to meet on the commons by by the victory bell, and I made plans with my roommate. I said, as soon as I'm done with my test, I will meet you there because my dorm was right in back of you know where all this was going on. And so I met her there. It was a little after 1130 and more and more and more people were coming and it was just turning into, I mean, and all surrounding this whole area, you have to remember that there were all the National Guard and everybody with their rifles and their rifles that had tear gas can, canisters on. Everybody's just going, this is something's got to be done. The people that were by the victory bell, I don't feel felt as militarized as some of, as some of the other people. Like, I really don't think anybody wanted any violence there. Do you know what I'm saying? Even though right behind where everybody was still were the smoldering flames and fires of the ROTC building. Then the, everybody started moving in, and they fired tear gas. I remember my eyes for days were just like, everybody was just, and, and it got real quiet for a second, and then all you all you heard was, Boom, 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 and everybody, and then it got real quiet, and somebody else, they're shooting at us. So we ran, my my roommate and I ran up the hill, and there's a dorm called Johnson Hall that's right at the top of the hill. The guardsmen had marched up to the top, and it was those guardsmen that marched up to the top of the hill that fired into what's called the practice field. And that's where there were some other protesters on the other side of where the victory bill was. Those were the people that were that were killed and wounded out over there. Then there were guys behind us who started moving in. And one of the profs said, 
please disperse, please, or they're going to shoot more people. More people are going to get wounded. And at that point, they didn't know that people were already gone. So we ran, and there was an open window at a bottom thing, and we jumped, we dove into there. People were just, like, going everywhere. We stayed in there. We knew, we knew some of the people, like, in that dorm and stuff. This was a men's dormitory. We came out, and we were going to go back down the hill by the victory bell, and that's when the, that prof is going, go, go, go back to your dorms, get out of here. They're going to shoot more people. They're going to, I mean, everything happened so fast. I can't even tell you. It was like... It was very, it was frightening. They were like moving in from the back and the guys that shot people already were on the top of the hill. And here's, here's thousands of kids, people. Then my but none of them were armed. No, none of them were armed. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no, nope. People were running into whatever was close. I mean, there were hundreds of people like in the bottom part of our dorm because they just wanted to get away because I mean, everybody was frightened. I mean, it was a really scary thing that was going on. Within a half hour, the older woman who was in charge of our dorm, they told everybody, you know, everybody has to go. You couldn't use your phones. Your, your, little, your little wall phones could use nothing. Everything was shut down. So no one could call parents. Everything was dead. They said, we are telling you. You have to be out of here by 1 o'clock. They are closing the campus. At first, they told us, you're probably only going to be, in there, be gone for a week, so grab what you can and everything. So I had a dark green army duffel bag. I remember throwing in, you know, clothes and some stuff like that. People were just throwing stuff in and thinking, how in the hell are we going to get out of here? My family had that store that wasn't too far away in Hudson. No one had any way of getting there because, like Paul said, all these streets were blocked off. Everything was blocked. They don't want anybody on the streets downtown. Well, how are we going to get out if we can't even get to streets? It was myself, my roommate from Newbury, a guy from New York, and somebody from Columbus. And I said, just come with me. We'll get here. My family will get us to, to our house. So we hitchhiked. And there weren't too many people that were willing to pick up hitchhiking people because they all the whole downtown with there were barricades everywhere. This man picked us up that had kind of, it was kind of like an old station wagon. So we climbed in the back and we told him we were you know where we were going. So he got us most of the way. He took us all the way down Fish Creek to my parents' store, and then they were able to call their families and let them know what was going on. And then they all came to back to my house. Some of them flew home, like the guy from New York flew home in a couple days. My friend from Columbus, her parents picked her up, and then I drove Joan home. But I had tried. I knew that my friend was involved. I just knew it. I knew it. Well, by then they had put out the names on the news. How many people they knew already were gone, and how many people were wounded, and sure enough, his name was there. So I, had, I called his house. Finally that night I got through, and his mom picked up. She said, he's okay. He's still in the hospital. He is the one who got shot in the wrist, but his roommate, his roommate from Syracuse, New York, got half of his foot blown off. But it's because of him, because of the two of them. They are two of the people who have kept this story alive and through all these years helped organize all the, all the May 4 plans and everything. Every year the, on, on May 3rd, they have a candlelight walk and a memorial service, but back two years later, I mean, none of those people were even allowed back on campus. Campus was very strange in the fall. Uh, it was very quiet. You didn't see a lot of people walking around. No. I was in, it always seemed that they, I had an English class. It always seemed like in that freaking English class, we had like four bomb scares. We'd be in the middle of class, and 
there'd be a bomb scare and we'd have to evacuate. A lot of parents didn't let their kids go back to Kent. I got to get a job before everybody else came back. Yeah. So that was yeah. good. So I because without the summer job, I wouldn't have, you know, my family wouldn't have been able to give me help out with what I would make in the summer to be able to go back. And I was going back. I worked in a factory that had little food trucks that came and you had two 10 minute breaks and and everybody thought I was like Einstein because everybody there was lucky if they went to eighth grade. When they found out where I went to school, I had to say, oh, no, I'm not going back. I was lucky enough um, that I was one of the few that kind of were able to work at Kodak, at Kodak Park. And I worked on the, uh, um, the second best paying production plant. Uh, it was called Emulsion Melting, where we made the coating that went on the film. And um, that was, I mean, I was making literally three times more there than I did when I started teaching. But it went my last, after the Kent State incident, it was my last summer. You're only allowed three summers. By that time, they figured you should graduate at somebody else's turn. And I had always, and I went back to the same ship that I'd worked with, and I got along with everybody, but there were a handful of people that... Um, I, I guess you would say they were giving me the cold shoulder. They weren't mean to me, but the relationship changed. And I think their attitude is one of the other guys I talked to was a great guy. He says, you know, you were at Kent, so to them you're a radical. That's right. My hair had gotten pretty long, but because we worked with the product, um, I had this guy, Zimmer was the super, uh, the super he was the head guy. And uh, after the first day back... He called me into his office and he said, uh, when you come in tomorrow, you better have a haircut. I tried to make a deal with him thinking I could wear like a hairnet, like a food service thing. He made it sound like it was all about getting hair and, you know, the emulsion or something. Either way you look at it, when I came back, I had a haircut. Where did either of you think of yourself as hippies or yeah. as... You did? Uh, yeah. Kind of, I don't know. I think yeah, so. Are you sure we're doing the same stuff they were doing? Maybe your true hippies were just guys that didn't go to school and just sat around, you know. But we, we so we were like maybe quasi hippies. Okay, so we were focused hippies yeah, we because were, we, we knew were, what we wanted yeah, we and we knew what we hippies. wanted to do. But it was more than the clothes and the music or the tie dyed shirts. It was a whole way of thinking. It was a whole definitely way of seeing the world in a different way than our previous generation. Then our then our parents. My mother once just told don't me. Don't let me know. I my don't mother told know. me I was home on vacation. I'll never forget. She said. I don't care if you smoke that marijuana. Better not do that LS acid. I said, okay, I won't. My graduating class only had 188 people, and I think four people were killed. Yeah. Ohio had more Ohio had young men killed than any other state. Uh, my number, my I'm, my so. number. You know what? You know how they did that? They had like um, yeah, it's like yeah, they just win bingo. Like, it was like a bingo thing, and they would just pull out numbers. You know, so if it was you know number five, then that was like January fifth. Mine was like three fifty one or three fifteen. So you were safe. So I was pretty safe because they would go from one to whatever. And then the f next year they would start again. Yeah, there were guys there in school one day, and they were in a, they were. I our, said goodbye to two really yeah. good friends yeah. who went to Canada because yeah. they were not going. One of them, one of them, his dad was a um, a doctor in Shaker Heights. Dad gave him the money and everything. And if you were in college uh, for a while there, you had what was called a two S. A two S. And it was a college deferment. That's why a lot of people got got bullshitted from people about how you're going to college so you don't have to fight. It was a time of political unrest on a campus that held rallies to protest the Vietnam War and the invasion of Cambodia. Three thousand ninety-two soldiers from Ohio died in the Vietnam War. 
only four states, Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, and California, had more casualties. This is the sculpture that was at the top of the hill yeah. that, that Paul you were was talking, talking about. about by the architecture building. Yeah. Okay, and, and this is the poem that goes with it. United by a common bond and shivering in the cold, a different kind of crowd assembled. Candles brightened, thoughtful faces looking back much less in anger than in pain and deep regret. Silence roared instead of guns. All night long in quiet tribute, solitary figures stood keeping vigil for those who died. And I think people were surprised because Ohio isn't usually considered like a place where something like this would happen. And the people on this day that were on that practice field and on, and, by, and on the commons with us by the bill, by the victory bill, I think they were more along the lines of how we felt. We wanted change, but we wanted peaceful change. You know what well, I'm saying? They weren't looking to be violent. They were know. not. Like this as we take this action, not for the purpose of expanding the war into Cambodia, but for the purpose of ending the war in Vietnam and winning, winning the just peace we desire. That's what Nixon said. And it was reported, the Daily Kent State is, our, is, our, is the campus newspaper. It still is. So that's what he says, and everybody's going, I don't think so. They told us, you know, just grab stuff for a week. You've got to get out of here. This campus has to be cleared out, okay? So we just, I don't even know why. I, I think I came, I came back with the shoes I had on and one shoe, and I don't even know where the other one was or whatever. But they told us that, you know, we'd be back in a week and stuff. It ended up being way well into June, about six weeks later, each dormitory was assigned a time that you could, you know, come back and get, get your, your belongings stuff. and get out. I told Paul, I said, I remember exactly what I had on that day. I had on a white Henley shirt, three buttons, my bell-bottom jeans, and a flag plastered on my ass. An American flag? An American flag. <laughs> to now, even though it was 1970, it was still a bit of an extension of the 60s. The 60s were jam-packed. I mean, so much the space race, the, the assassinations, the, the, uh, the music, the music, and everything. Was you missed, just... you missed out on some pretty good shit. How does it feel? Like 50 years feels big. It is big. You know, it's funny. I never gave. We birth. talk about it. Yeah, we talk about it. Yeah, we talk all about it. Um, I still have my. my I still have just... every time I get a new car, I make sure I put a Kent State alumni sticker on it. I still do. And to think that this was 50 years ago, it's like, man. When it gets into like 40 years and 50 years and that kind of stuff, and you could still go back and remember them like they happened two minutes ago, those are life-changing nights. I'm Regina Beach, and you've been listening to Saturn Returns. Thanks to Paul and Jerry for sharing their stories, and thanks to you for listening. To learn more about this tragedy, visit kent.edu slash May 4. If you like what you hear, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen at reginagbeach.com. Click on the link for Saturn Returns. Let me know if you have a story you'd like to share. See you next time.